So, uh, last week we talked about spiritual authority in our What is Church series, and um, to, I want to just say one thing about what we shared last week. There's a lot of things that pastors are called to do by God that are good, um, and I didn't really spend a lot of time on that because I think we all kind of can spot a good pastor when you see one, you know, um, and so I thought it'd be more beneficial, but I did want to say that there is sort of a grace that God gives to pastors to... Um, to shepherd the people. And I have a friend who was a pastor for, I think, like seven or eight years in a different state. And they, uh, they were telling me that they had this, this like constant encounters with God over the people and just revelation about what to preach on and just feeling very prophetic all the time. And then the Lord moved them to a different state. And they were telling me, you know, I really just thought that that would continue on, you know, with my life. And they said, I was really surprised that when I stepped down from being a pastor and and God had called them into something else. They said, um, it, it was like that turned off. And they were explaining to me, there's this grace that God gives to pastors to connect with the Lord in a different way. And I've experienced that for myself. I know Grant's experienced that for him as well. And I, I say all of that to say that, you know, what God wants is for God, like, like God-fearing um, boundary-staying people to shepherd the flock, right? And so I just wanted to make a note of that um, on the heels of last week's message. It's not what we're talking about today, but, um, but yeah. So ultimately, pastors, our goal is to help you find your spot in the body and shepherd you into maturity. That's what we're supposed to do. And sometimes we get a little off in that. I think one of the things that happens in the American church that creates Drama is that the, the pastor is typically also the leader of the organization, right? So then you're kind of a boss, and then you're also like a shepherd, and that gets weird. And so I know that's part of what happens with that. But I don't know. Those are just a couple things I felt in my heart I needed to say to kind of wrap up last week. So today we're going to talk about what the church actually is on the most fundamental level I shared with you guys a couple weeks ago that Jesus, uh, he only used the word church twice, and, you know, some people might use the word ekklesia as though it has, like I told you guys, some sort of extra spiritual meaning. Ekklesia is the Greek word that means church, that means community. And, um, you know, so if we say it like ekklesia, it sometimes feels magical. It's not. It's just the word for community. Uh, and Jesus just did not, he did not give us in these words enough instruction to satisfy our logical minds about what the church is supposed to look like. I don't know if you feel that way, but I do. I'm always like, God, tell us, what's it supposed to be? When are we supposed to meet? What do we do when we meet? Who's supposed to be the leader? How do you know, you know, all these things, and it's just not there. And the reason is because the church, on its most fundamental level, is the body of Christ, right? It's the body. And, and so you may not know this, but back in the ancient Bible days, the the kings were actually the embodiment of the demonic god that was leading them. So a case in point would be Pharaoh. So the Egyptians looked at Pharaoh as a god. They looked at him as the embodiment of a demonic god. And so then the people of God, the Israelites, they didn't have a king. Remember this? And they go to Samuel and they're like, we want a king. And Samuel's like, this is going to be bad, guys. This is a bad request. And, and, and what they began to see was we want a person who will embody God like these other kings are embodying their gods. And then Jesus comes all those years later as God in the flesh. And then what he does is he creates his body at large to which he is the head, right? 
And so as I shared with you guys last week, Jesus feels zero threateningness. He has no hesitation about his authority. My head feels very secure as the leader of this body, my body, my physical body. My head does not need my toe to feel like it's in charge. Because without this, this is not alive, <laughs> right? Without the head, there is, there's no life. I mean, I might try to say time and time again, I might try to convince you through all kinds of like thoughts and National Geographic documentaries and things that I can survive without oxygen because I just fundamentally believe that. But guess what's going to happen someday when I run out of oxygen? You all are going to find out that it just wasn't true. Jesus is the head, and he is very secure in his headship over his body, and we might justify this, that, or the other, or that a person is the head of the church, or one church is more important than another, or one denomination is more important than another, but at the end of the day, we're all going to find out this one head belongs to who? Jesus, and he's very secure in that. My head does not need to tell my right hand what it's going to do with the left hand, it's interesting, when we talk about spiritual authority, you know, God does not feel any responsibility to me as a pastor for how he wants to lead you. <laughs> he doesn't. So here's a great example of that. Uh, if, you're in, if you've ever been an employee in a church world, you've probably come up with against this thinking that is that if you're going to ask someone from another church to join your staff, you need permission from that person's pastor to talk to that person about coming to you. That's kind of like the code, Okay. Spoiler alert, it's the code. And, uh, but what's interesting is Jesus doesn't abide by that. And the fact that he doesn't abide by that is proof positive to me that he sees himself as the head of all people and he does not need his pastor's permission to work with his people. So a little over a year ago, one of our best friends, McCoby Donaldson, you guys know, he came over to our house and I could tell he was dragging his feet about something and he's like, we need to talk. And if you know McCoby at all, that could go one of many ways. And, and so I'm, uh, he's a feisty, feisty man. I love that guy. And uh, he, he's like dragging his feet. I mean, small talk goes on like 15, 20 minutes, which if you know the Donaldsons, if you know McCoby, that's not a thing in his world. And he's like, I got to go to the bathroom. And he goes to the bathroom and he's in the bathroom for like 10 minutes, guys, like to the point where we're like, should someone go check on him? <laughs> like, and he comes out and he's just in a huff and he's like, okay, I just, <clears throat> okay, all right. <clears throat> I think God's telling me I'm supposed to move to Florida. And Grant and I are like, oh, oh, Okay. And we start talking about it and processing it. And, and at the end of all of his, like, okay, I've finally got this off my chest, he goes, tell me that you knew this was coming. Because <laughs> he knows me well. He's one of my best friends. He knows me well. He knows that I get a kind of spidey sense about this stuff sometimes, right? Like, I, I can't explain it. It's probably part of that pastoral grace thing. But I get a little spidey sense about it. And, and uh, not always, but I said, look, man, I had no idea. And he goes, what? I said, I have plans for you that involve you being in Oklahoma. So God did not instruct me that you guys were moving, you know? And he's like, what? And so we were talking about how he went and hid himself in the bathroom because the Lord had told him that he couldn't do anything until he had this conversation with us. And he was so nervous about it. And he said he was in the bathroom. He's like, I'm not going to do it, God. Just tell Rachel. Just tell her. She always hears from you. And, and I'm like going, just, just tell, you know. Jesus did not need our permission to lead them to where they are. They go to Florida. They come back for a little while. They're back in Florida permanently now, and he's got an amazing job with the Christ for All Nations ministry. You guys know that. And all of that was devoid of our like, connection apart from just offering counsel and, and shepherding them through the process of hearing God. 
I tell you that story because I think sometimes we want to buy into this thinking that God always consults your pastor about something that's supposed to happen in your life, and I'm just here to tell you that he doesn't. And if you've ever had an experience like that, where your pastor was like, didn't know what God was doing in you, and then you start thinking, maybe it wasn't the Lord, time out, because that person is not your Lord, the head is, right? And once again, my shoulder does not need to know about what the plan for my foot is. The head takes care of all of that. We are the body of Christ, and we are the embodiment of Christ. No one church, one denomination, or one local body is central to that body. What I believe the Lord does is when he looks at his people, he actually sees them for where they connect to him irregardless of the group of people they identify with with their local church. And this is a difficult thing for leaders to think because when we start thinking about, if you, if you do leadership at all, then you know organization is important. Flowcharts are important. Hierarchy is important. Having a captain of a team is important. All of that. And so it gets really weird when you start to go, but in the body, the body doesn't operate like that. But our human beings, we keep wanting to make that happen. And then Jesus just keeps not working with that structure. It's the body. Not one church is central to the body. We can't just say like Elevation or Bethel and Reading or Hillsong or, you know, pick your favorite church of, of the month or Maverick City Music is the spine of the body, right? Right now it's like, that's got to be the spine or, or they're the heartbeat and Bethel is the spine or whatever you want to call it. None of that is how it works. Jesus is the head and he assigns everybody in, in the body and he doesn't do hierarchy. So when I look at the body of Christ, uh, this is what I see. Can you see this? The body of Christ right now is a beautiful Picasso painting that is really messed up. When Jesus is looking at the body uh, on the earth, he's got some people in the right space. I'm such a great artist, you guys. I'm going to sell this later. I'm going to make like money to take my family to Disney. I'm just kidding. I am the world's, probably not the worst artist, but I'm pretty down there on the scale. The foot's in the right place. This hand is in the right place, but there's no arm connecting it. We got the head here, but the mouth is all jacked up. We got that, like, this is what the body looks like to me in the spirit right now. Some of us are in our place. And some of us are like, we think we're in the place. Like, we're still a spine, but we're not straight. <laughs> and so what is Jesus going to do, and why is this so important? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at two different scriptures today. Um, today I'm reading out of the NIV. I don't usually love the NIV translation, but that's what we're reading out of today. So uh, flip over to Matthew chapter 7. We're also going to do Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, so while you go to Matthew chapter 7, 13, I think what we need to do is start looking at, A, what is the body, and B, what is the body for? What is the body here to do on the earth? And it's my personal conviction that the body of Christ is supposed to be the, the visible expression of him on the earth. And that visible expression is designed to go up against and prevail against the ruling powers that are of darkness that are on the earth right now. <clears throat> that's my, my conviction, that we're supposed to win against evil. That's, that's how I read it. Evil's going to increase, but the presence of God is also going to increase. That's what the Bible says, right? Um, so if we're not winning, then we need to start figuring out why. What's going on? The church is supposed to be dominant in culture. It's supposed to be, um, let me put it this way, the, I believe the church is designed, there's a, there's a, cate like a, what was the word I'm looking for? I always struggle to explain the mystical things without going into Star Trek references. 
Um, and I know that's like so nerdy of me, so that's why I got to pause and like think, how do I explain this? There is a parallel between heaven and earth that God created, okay? So we see this in Genesis. The heavens that God created and the earth that God created are designed to work in tandem. That what happens on the earth affects what happens in the heavens, and what happens on the heavens affects what happens on the earth. That's what Genesis tells us. And the, the human being, the body, the, the physical, like the people of God, are the intermediary between those two. And the, one of the ways that we know this, one example, is that when Eve picked that fruit off the tree, a seemingly harmless thing in her mind, she cataclysmically shook both the earth and the heavens. Or maybe I should say when she and Adam came into agreement together and disobeyed the Lord. It had a, a ripple effect not only on the earth, but in the heavens, okay? So that's just one of many scriptures that help us understand that what we as people do actually has effect not just here on earth, but in the heavenly realms. Matthew 16, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, uh, when the two times that Jesus uses the word church in the book of Matthew and in, in all of the gospels, the two times are connected with binding and loosing. That I've given you, he says, I've, let's just turn to it. Matthew 16, he says, I've given you, uh, he's standing in front of the, uh, right before the Mount of Transfiguration, he's standing in front of this giant rock, and um, Peter has just made his declaration. This is in verse 20, 19. 19. Let's do 18. Okay, it says, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Verse 19. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He says this again two chapters later in Matthew 18 in another example. What he's saying is, your translation might say, whatever is bound in the heavens is bound on earth. There's a connection between there, and we as people are the key, okay? We are the key. So as the body of Christ, the church, Jesus gives the authority to shake the heavens and the earth by how we position ourselves towards what is darkness, so is there any question why the enemy spends so much time creating Picasso out of the body of Christ? Because as long as we are not aligned, we cannot shake the heavens like we are supposed to, and he is allowed to go rampant on the earth. I think this is a big deal for us to understand because the heavens are designed to respond to Christ's body. I think the only time in history that we see the purest form of this is on the cross and the resurrection. He's on the cross. He's fulfilling it in that moment. It is finished. What's finished? Him giving up his life. I mean, that's five sermons for another day, right? But he says, it's finished. And the heavens and the earth respond to the body of Christ in its purest form. And I don't believe it was only supposed to be that one time and never again. Because Romans tells us that all creation is groaning and waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. So when the sons of God, the people of God, his, it's a, it's a gender-neutral term, that term, sons of God, sons and daughters of God, when we take our place in understanding where we are in the body and the body comes into agreement, this ricochet happens on the earth, which has been seen, but not really for like 2,000 years. <laughs> and I'm just crazy enough to want to see it happen again, aren't you? Because eventually it will. It's either going to be in our lifetime or our kids or our grandkids or some way down the road. But eventually that's what the book says. We've read Revelation. We know he's coming back. 
But he's coming back for a pure bride, for a spotless bride, for an aligned bride. Not Picasso or Jackson Pollock style, but like a Monet or something that looks very realist, right? Well, Monet's the wrong one, but... Right? And so we know that's where he's going. So there will be a generation that gets this right. And I'm just crazy enough to go, could it be us, Lord? Could it be us? I might be the toenail in the body or the ingrown toenail in the body. I just want to be in my spot and do my job, right? We might be the armpit or the armpit hair, like uncomfortable. Like we might be the one that, that causes friction on everybody else that grows us up into maturity. But don't you want to just do, don't you want to be in the body? I'm not just talking about here at Bethel OKC. I'm talking about his body. When he looks down and he's like, wow, my beautiful body. Let's read uh, Matthew chapter 7. So this is, uh, this is like Jesus' most epic uh, sermon. It's three chapters long. I mean, the man was preaching, and he gets to everything. He talks about a lot. I think no one walked away unoffended from that message uh, that he preached on that mountain that day. And I want to pick it up in verse 13, although every single section of this is good. But I want to pick this up because the body of Christ is for the shaking of the heavens and the earth. And as I talked to you guys a couple weeks ago when we did the message on blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus himself is an abrasive force. He is the prince of peace, but he's also, he says, I came to not bring peace but a sword, right? So there's like a dichotomy. There's a tension there. And because he is so confident in his position as our authoritative head, he just is. And in the same way that when the oxygen runs out, we're all goners, he just knows this is the fact of the matter. So when we don't want to submit to him, we are therefore against him, right? Not because he's, I don't believe his heart is to go, you want to be against me? <laughs> You're like, let's go, right? That's not the heart of Jesus, the heart of Jesus is like, look, just come in line, and if you don't want to, unfortunately, now you're over there, and I deal with you differently than I deal with my body. Let's look at what this means. Let's pick it up in verse 13. He says, enter through the narrow gate. All of these are the words of Jesus we're about to read. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. What is he saying here? I don't believe that Jesus is saying, look, I've got 140,000 spots. Prove to me who gets in he into heaven. <laughs> That's not God. What he's saying is, I understand human nature that people don't like boundaries. But if you're going to come with me, there's a whole lot of boundaries. The road is very narrow. And in his very next breath, these are not two different things. His very next breath begins to condemn false prophets for trying to tell the people the broad road is okay. Make the connection here. This is important. Verse 15. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? Well, you and I don't pick our own grapes, so the answer here is no. You don't pick grapes from thorn bushes. Or figs from thistles? Again, no. Likewise, every good fruit, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. This is where it gets interesting. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you'll recognize them. So, so what is Jesus saying? He's trying to help you understand who you listen to matters because the road with Jesus is narrow. And if someone is trying to tell you that you don't have to be on the narrow road, they're telling you a lie. A false prophet is not someone who prophesies incorrectly. 
A false prophet is someone who is teaching you doctrine that is wrong, right? So we have some prophets that missed it in the last few months. It doesn't mean they're false prophets. It just means that they got it wrong. And if they're teaching you something that's anti-biblical, then that's a different situation. So then he goes on to the next phrase. Now just remember, this is all one continuous monologue from the Lord, a sermon really. Verse 21 not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, this verse, do you, do you guys like hate this verse? I really don't like this verse. I'm like, man, sweet Jesus, my kumbaya, Lord. And he's like, no, I'm not that, right? This is what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus tells us he only does who he see, like what he sees the Father doing, right? So if we're in his body and we're aligned to Jesus, then we're also doing what the Father is doing. He's making a distinction here. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, we drove out demons? And in your name, perform many miracles? Then Jesus goes on to say, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. <clears throat> and Jesus is telling us here, he's connecting this to false prophets. He's connecting this to the narrow road that there's a, a principle for us to understand that there will be people who have figured out how faith works. They figured out how to work miracles and they're good miracles. They're not just counterfeit. They figured out how to use the principles of heaven to bring about their end, but they're not in the body. Does this make sense? They're the floating hand over here. And so they might even say I'm saved, but they're not in line with him. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to say to you, I never knew you, which is really hard for us to understand because how could Jesus not know them if he sees them working miracles in his name? It's because to know Jesus is to be in line with him. It's that John 15, abiding in the vine, right? That we are in his body when we surrender and go down that narrow road with him. Is this making sense? So then he ends it up, he wraps it up with this. I love this scripture, verse 24. We're in chapter seven, if you've lost track. Matthew 7, 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall. Look at your neighbor and say, it did not fall. Because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, same circumstances. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew against that house, and it fell with a great clash, great crash. I love this part, verse 29 and 28. And this is the addendum. Jesus is done preaching, and now this is Matthew's commentary. He says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So Jesus opens his mouth, and alignment is the only option. We might want God to be doing something over here, but if that's not what he's doing, for us to be in his body, we have to be in line with what he is doing. I'm not trying to say that you lose your salvation. That's, we're not getting into any of that kind of stuff. What I'm talking about is our heart of surrender, right? Our heart to say, Lord, I'm going to seek your face, even if your face is saying something to me that I wish it wasn't. I'm going to seek your face, even though I wish your hand would intervene in this situation. Jesus, just by nature of who he is, is dividing things. He's calling reckoning. He's a reckoner, right? He's saying, look, this is what it means to be in line with me. 
And, and I think we all need to begin to understand that when we talk about what is the church, the church are those who are in line with him. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 4. This is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. You guys know this scripture. It says, for the word of God. What is the word of God? It's Jesus. Remember, John 1 tells us the word was in there at the beginning. The word was with God. The word was God. Jesus is the word of God. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Let's just read the next one. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Why do I say this? Because just by the nature of who Jesus is, everything is exposed. So all of our works-based thinking where we try to check all the boxes so we can think God is with us, all of our thoughts of, of doing the good deeds so that God will reward us, all of our thinking that, you know, I, I'm rejecting everything that's wrong just because it's wrong, all of that is God sees through that to the motive of your heart. And so the church is his body and the church is designed to emulate Christ by bringing this abrasive force everywhere it goes. Here's the, here's the tension in this. They're going to know we're Christians by what? How loud we are? Our trolling abilities on Facebook? No, right? They're going to know we are Christians by our love. So then this begs the question, if the body of Christ is divisive in nature, it just is because this is who Jesus is, How did God treat people outside of his body? And this right here is where we're going to see the world changed if we're actually going to see it changed. Because we have got to stop doing things that Jesus is not doing. We want to believe that Jesus is treating everybody like the Pharisees that he spoke to and said, you wicked generation. He's only treating the pastors like that. I'm just going to be honest. That, that language he reserves for the people who he called and aren't doing a good job. <laughs> and I'm not saying, I'm not saying we're, all, we're all like, everybody that's in ministry is in that camp. Jesus in no other place demonstrates that same type of attitude. So therefore, we are not allowed to demonstrate that same type of attitude. If the body is going to do what it's supposed to do to shake earth and heaven, it will do it by doing it the way that Jesus does it. Here's what Jesus does. By the very nature of who he is, it causes people to a reckoning. You're either with me or you're against me. One of the hardest truths that I've been meditating on the last several months is this this truth that some people just don't want to go with God. I can beg you, I can make space for you, I can acquiesce you, I can try not to talk about the things that are offensive to you when I'm around you, I can, I can, I can, I can, but at the end of the day, the person of Jesus will call people to either decide to get on the narrow road or not. And we cannot, hear me when I say this, we cannot waste our time trying to drag people to a place of surrender they don't want to go be on. That's not the same thing as saying, don't pray for them, cut them out of your life, act, you know, like shame them. That's not what we're saying. What I'm saying is Jesus is looking for his body. Are you guys tracking with me? It's uncomfortable for me. I'm assuming it's uncomfortable for you to hear this. 
So how does Jesus treat his enemies? How does he treat the people that are different than him? Well, he's not on social media, (laughs) right? He's not picking fights with people. He's not going, that Pharisee, you know, like the cat meme. You know what I'm talking about? Jesus is not, he's not worried, guys. He's so confident as the head. And it's uncomfortable for us because we want to move him to action. We are just as much the Jews at the time of Jesus' day as anything else where we're going, please be the militant king and make a way for us to have a better life. Lord, we don't want to pay taxes. God, we don't want to wear a mask anymore. Lord, we don't want to, is this too much? Or, or we're on the other end, God, please make this governor make us wear a mask, right? Whatever, wherever you fall in that. And Jesus is going, politics is like, eh, to me. I'm focused on my body. What does that mean? Not one particular church. I'm focused on all of us getting into our spot and doing what we're called to do. Here, here, here's what I know to be true. The church should be a community of yielded people who are devoted to Jesus as Lord. And they sh- this is what the church should be, committed to coming together to overthrow the rulers and powers of the present age so that God's will can be manifest on the earth. Did you know that God's will is often not manifested on the earth? Just because he's God does not mean he gets his way. What is he waiting for? His body to function. If you've had back issues, you know. If the body can't function, you're not going anywhere. The head might have great ideas, amazing strategy, all the resources to make it happen, but if the legs won't walk, it's not going to happen. We are so focused on fighting against each other, and the enemy is just sitting back like, yes, yes, I get free reign. I get free reign in China. I get free reign in Africa. I get free reign in California. I get free reign. Teasing, but you know what I mean? Right? Why? Because the only force on the earth that can do something about it is so angry that you didn't vote for the person I voted for. (laughs) It's embarrassing, isn't it? It's embarrassing. Now, I'm not saying you can't have an opinion. I have them too. But when our opinion thwarts our ability to be in line with the body, the heavens and the earth are just sitting back groaning. They're groaning and waiting. When we moved into Oklahoma, some of you guys know this story. Uh, It was like we were in a meeting. We actually had gone to look at a house in Edmond. We were in a meeting downtown, and we were driving back to Norman right around the time that we were moving up here. It was like 2013. It was May 20th, 2013. And as we were driving by, the tornado was moving past the Warren Theater, and the hail was slamming into our car. And we were watching it pretty much while it was going over Plaza Towers at that moment. And I drove home, and I watched the news footage like you guys all did, and I just, I almost couldn't even live with myself for having been so close to it and and, and feeling so powerless against how to get that thing off the ground. And I, I sought the Lord, and I felt like the Lord called us, look, the church has the ability to keep that from happening. It's not just Mother Nature. That's, that's, that's creation groaning, looking for the alignment to be there, right? I said, look, God, you tell me what we have to do, and we will do it. And you guys have been a part of this. And so for the last seven-plus years, we've been praying every spring. We'll kick it up pretty soon. We've been praying. We bind in the atmosphere. And you know what's happened? A lot of fruit. Zero. Thank you, Matthew. There was one in El Paso. What, I mean, El Reno. Two years ago, I cried. It was really sad. It wasn't in Oklahoma City, but I was like, I guess my, my radius wasn't big enough and I was praying. I believe 
what's happening in the tornadoes is the least, it requires the least amount of faith. I loved, I think Damon Lane put out a headline, I think it was last year that said, has Tornado Alley shifted east? And I was like, you bet your bottom dollar it has. Because me and my other pastor friends, we have been praying and we have been binding and we are not going to deal with that again, right? Because the church is the, it's the only avenue. You've heard it said the local church is the hope of the world, and it actually is. But it's not the local church, our one body. It's the collective of Christ with him as the head and our decision to go where he goes, whether we like it or not. Amen? So uh, let me just wrap this up. Okay, so Revelation twenty two seventeen. 17. We looked at this in the Revelation series. The spirit and the bride say, come. So we have the spirit saying, come, guys. Come. Here's where we're going. Come. And the bride is also supposed to be saying that. But our bride is not saying that right now. Our bride is saying, oh, thank God you got Trump out of office. Oh, why did you get Trump out of office? We got it, right? And the bride is like, and God's over here saying, come, come. I'm not even there right now. He does care about our nation. You guys know that. But what I'm trying to help you see is that if we're so focused on what we want God to do, We will never actually get to that place because the spirit is not going to change what he's saying. He's just going to wait till we all die and pick a new crop. I mean, Peter, 1 Peter, (laughs) probably can't take that back, but 1 Peter says we're in the last days, right? These last days have lasted a long time. Don't you think? It's been 2,000 years. 1 Peter tells us to hasten the day of the Lord's return. If we can hasten it, we can also slow it down. And what is, what is the linchpin? It's the bride. It's the church. It's the body of Christ. He's not going to lead as just a head. He's not megamind, little fish thing. He's going to lead with his body or he's not, he's not moving forward. So this is what I want us to do. I, I want us to kind of end our time. Grant, would you play some for us? I want us to end our time in just really doing a little bit of intercession, if that's okay, and asking the Lord, praying with God that his body would truly come in line. I believe that's what he's doing in this season. I believe all of what we've been going through as a nation the last few years is intentional by the Lord. For the last three months even, it's intentional by the Lord to to grow us, to mature us, to, to feel bad so that we have to deal with stuff, right? And if we can get this right, and if we can take a step forward, you guys, we are going to see demonic powers be overthrown. I believe that with every fiber of my being. I know God designed the church to be able to walk into a nation and deal with what's going on in the heavens so that the will of God can be manifest. I've seen little glimpses of it in history in other nations, and I know that's what he's going for. And he can do it in America too, amen? It feels harder right now. We don't have a lot of confidence in that, but I am telling you his plan A is still plan A. The church is the mechanism that he will shake the earth and the heavens through. Amen? Amen. So you can sit, you can stand, but just go ahead and let's just enter into his presence. And I want to just take a few moments to pray and intercede because God knows (laughs) his people have got to come in line with him. His body, and, and he wants the whole body there, guys. I don't believe for a second that Jesus is excited about making, leaving people out. So Holy Spirit, we are listening to what you're saying. We might not fully understand. 
and I repent. And if you need to repent, go ahead and repent too. I repent, Lord, that sometimes my own opinions become what I think you're trying to say. And Lord, right now, we, we just collectively humble ourselves and say, God, we give you permission to direct your body how you want it to go. Thank you, Lord. Align us this morning. Align our thinking. Where the spirit of religion has, has tried to, has become a false prophet and tried to help us settle into areas that you never called us to settle into, we reject that right now in Jesus' name. We reject division in Jesus' name. Lord, we repent for our divisive thinking. Lord, we repent for elevating our, our political feelings or our political affiliations over unity in your body. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. So I just ask you to just, you know, what Jesus did, he, he only did what he saw the Father doing. He prayed what he heard the Father praying. So let's just take a second and just listen to Jesus. What are you praying right now? And just begin to speak that out. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. now we, we pray for, for the pastors in our land. Lord, we pray that they would seek your face in fresh ways, God, that we would seek your face, that we'd truly come in line with you. Lord, right now we pray for all of those that are actually in rebellion, but they've justified it for whatever reason. We ask, Lord, for the spirit of truth to rise up in them right now, for your presence to interrupt them right now. Thank you, God. Father, we pray for strength for the days ahead. Thank you, Lord. We pray for strength in our body, in our local body, to continue to move towards unity, to continue to move towards maturity, to continue to be your hands and feet, to open our mouths when it feels hard. Lord, we ask, just as your word tells, you, tells us that there's always gonna be a word on our tongue when, when we need it. Lord, we're asking when we open our mouths to share with people that there would be a word there. Thank you, God continue to strip us of pride, continue to strip us of apathy, continue to strip us of religious thinking, continue to strip us of just patting ourselves on the back, thinking that we're good enough, God. We want to enter into the fullness of what you have for us as your sons and daughters of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And just do me a favor and just reach your hand. If you're sitting next to somebody, just put your hand on their shoulder or, or reach your hand across a little bit and just begin to pray the blessing of God over that person. blessing of God, that they would thrive in every way. Every hindrance, every obstacle would fall in the name of Jesus. Every demonic assignment would end right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Equip us, release us, teach us how to rescue those around us in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And Lord, I pray over every person here, over every person that's listening. Empower us to be your body. Help us to yield to you. Help us to, to be so single-mindedly focused on you alone. Again and again and again, we give you permission, Jesus, to lead us how you want. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. And I just pray over every person here for their, their days to be blessed with your presence, 
to be enamored with the beauty of your fragrance, that they would find you in the most unexpected ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I I really want to encourage you guys, jump into our fast in in one way or another. You could fast media, social media, sweets. I I don't care. You ask the Lord what to do. Uh, Wednesday through Friday, and then we're going to be here Friday night at 7 o'clock just to pray consecrate ourselves, ask the Lord to come, do something amazing. This is only the beginning. I I really believe he's on the move in America, you guys. Uh, And if we want to see it, we got to be where he is. (laughs) Amen.